Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. In setting up the studio for this recording session, I realized that this is number, this is episode number 425. We've done 425 episodes. Wow. Well, actually, 424. This will be 425. Right. It's exhausting. Actually, that's not the reason we're exhausted. We have a lot of things going on right now. You you haven't been sleeping well at all. No, but last night was a delightful change of pace. I slept wonderfully, but I had the weirdest dreams. Share your dreams, your hopes, your goals. <laughs> Not just your dreams. Yeah. Um, normally, I am not someone who loves hearing about other people's dreams or loves sharing my dreams because, you know, generally they're only interesting to the people that they happen to. But last night, I was on my way to school and uh, I came up to a stoplight this in my is in hometown. Your, this, is, this is in your dream. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I came up to a stoplight in my hometown and the car in front of me had in it. Alec Baldwin and Alec Baldwin leaned out of his car and I leaned out of my car and I was all like, you know what? Fuck California and their unreasonable beauty standards. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And then I knew he was going to go get an impossible breakfast sandwich from Starbucks. Ah, so, wow. Yeah. Wow. It was if, so vivid. If, <laughs> if, if anybody is into dream analysis, I'd be extremely interested in your take on that one. <laughs> But I felt like like we really vibed. Like I felt really connected to Alec Baldwin in that moment. So well, that's great. Yeah, it was super vivid. So, um, so you're feeling good this morning. Feeling that's, good. That's good. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll feel better after this story. I hope so. Don't let it suck. That should be the motto for our our podcast: the box of oddities. Don't let it suck. <laughs> Just try real hard. There was a slight haze over the water in the Straits of Malacca that June morning back in 1947. Wait, was this your dream last night? No. Okay. No, it's not a dream. <laughs> the location was somewhere between Sumatra and Malaysia when the mysterious distress signal was first received. Initially, the sender of the SOS was unknown. 
sent in Morse code. It was divided into a couple of separate messages and in between just a bunch of gobbledygook and garbled, undecipherable Morse code. I think it was the police. Sending out an SOS from the classic album Regatta de Blanc. Reportedly, the message was received by two American ships that were in the area. The deciphered Morse code distress signal said, quote, All officers, including the captain, are dead, lying in chart room and bridge, possibly whole crew dead. And then there was just a bunch of undecipherable Morse code. And finally, the last decipherable message, which simply said, I die. Oh, Neither the ship nor the operator of the radio signal had been identified. And both American ships that received the message decided to, uh, well, they they ought to do something. So they contacted a couple of listening stations nearby, or the closest ones anyway. One was a British listening station or listening post, and, and the other one was Dutch. Between the Dutch and English listening posts and the coordinates, that the signals were received, they were able to triangulate the coordinates of the mysterious vessel Okay. and the mysterious message. The vessel was the Dutch freighter, the SS Oorang Madden. In the area of the uh, distress signal was another American ship. It was a merchant ship called the Silver Star. They had not heard the message, but they were contacted by the listening stations and given the coordinates of where this ship was. Okay. So the captain of the Silver Star immediately responded and changed his navigational settings to the new heading. It took several hours to get there, but finally the Silver Star and its crew arrived at the coordinates given and saw the Murang Madame bobbing up and down in the waves. And from their original sighting point, they could see no signs of life on the ship. The so, SSOM? The SUSM. SUSM. So the captain of the Silver Star attempted to contact the ship, try to raise them on the radio as they slowly approached, but they heard nothing in response. All attempts to initiate communication failed. Was it Reavers? It's always Reavers, isn't it? (laughs) They are never shiny. So at this point, the captain ordered a search party to be organized. To go on board the ship. Yes. Got it. They quickly lowered a lifeboat into the surf and they made their way toward the stricken vessel. The men on board the lifeboat were well aware of the contents of the message and were expecting really to find the worst, but they had no idea the depth of the horror that they would encounter. As soon as they boarded the SS Oorang Madan, they they were shocked at what they saw. The ship was manned by a Dutch crew, and the decks of the ship were literally covered in corpses. Everybody that they could see was obviously dead. The eyes of the dead crew members stared straight ahead, wide-eyed as if in horror, and the twisted look on their face suggested sheer terror. Many of the crew members' arms were positioned as if trying to fend off some kind of unseen attacker. Even the ship's dog lay dead on its back, and it was said the dog appeared to be in mid-snarl when it died. No. I don't like that. You're okay with the 150 dead sailors, but... Well, I mean, I'm not okay with it, but you could have just left out the dog part. Okay, forget I said that. Uh, The search party then made its way to the bridge, and they expected to find the bridge crew and the captain, but the captain was not there. In fact, they could find no one in uh, in the bridge, and they couldn't find the captain anywhere. 
The rest of the bridge officers were found in the chart room and the wheelhouse. Same condition as the uh, deck crew. Eyes wide open, look of terror on their face, and their arms frozen in a position that appeared as though they were trying to fend off an attacker. The radio operator who had sent the message was found at his station with his finger still on the Morse code switch. And the engineering crew, they were all found at their posts, all with the same type of horrific expression frozen on their faces. You know what this reminds me of is the return of the Obra Dinn, that video game that I was playing obsessively maybe about a year ago. I remember that. Maybe that was based on this. Maybe. There were other strange anomalies that made no sense to the search party. The local temperature at the time was in excess of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. But the crew reported that when they climbed aboard the SS Urang Madan, the temperature was distinctly chilly. But they couldn't determine where the chill was coming from. Huh. None of the victims appeared to have any physical injuries, but they did appear to be decaying much more quickly than they should be. Since the SSOM appeared to have no damage, uh, the rescue party decided they would tow the ship to the nearest port. Okay. So once the Silver Star crew tethered the two ships together and they started to head to port, they noticed smoke coming from below the deck. Of their ship or the SSOM ship? The SSOM. Specifically, cargo hold number four. They quickly severed the tow rope and they hadn't gotten very far when there was a huge explosion in the SSOM. The force was so great that it threw the ship out of the water before it sank into the dark depths of the ocean. Now, this incident was not widely reported at the time, which led many to think that the story is a hoax. The first official mention of the incident was in 1952. It came from the United States Coast Guard, though. It included witness testimony as to the condition of the crew members. And uh, it also added the description, quote, their frozen faces upturned to the sun, staring as if in, as if in fear. Their mouths were gaping open and their eyes were staring. Oof. There's also conflicting reports that the ship even existed. The Silver Star most definitely did. That was, without question, a real vessel. But the Dutch registry had no information of the SSOM. Others say the registration of the ship was actually in Sumatra. And it's true that at that time, Sumatra was a Dutch colony. And it was part of the Dutch East Indies. So it would be pretty easy to see how that would all get mixed up. Yeah, easily confused. According to Wikipedia... There is one interesting theory that could explain all of this. The SS Urang Madden. The SSOM. May have been involved in some sort of smuggling operations of chemical substances. Oh. Perhaps a combination of potassium cyanide and nitroglycerin, or even nerve agents left over from wartime stocks. These theories suggest that seawater could have gotten into the ship's hold reacting with the cargo that released toxic gases, which could have caused the crew to succumb to asphyxia and or poisoning. Later, the seawater would have reacted with the nitroglycerin, causing the fire and the subsequent explosion. Oh, okay. It goes on to say that another theory 
is the ship was actually transporting leftover nerve gas, which the Japanese military had been storing in China during World War II, and it was handed over to the U.S. military at the end of the war. No U.S. ship could transport it because it would leave a paper trail. It was therefore loaded into a non-registered ship for transport to the U.S. or perhaps uh, a U.S.-controlled Pacific island. And if that's true, it would make sense that the government would want to keep it quiet, hence no reports in the news about it. Mm-hmm. There are many unanswered questions surrounding the story of the SS Urang Madan, beginning with whether or not it, it actually happened, and if it did... What caused this disaster? The disaster definitely has an overtone of supernatural, um, paranormal possibilities, but um, it makes perfect sense to me that it was like maybe a nerve gas thing or something like that. Yeah, and I guess my question would be, um, if it didn't ever exist, what would be the point of saying it did? I mean, that. I mean, I guess people do make things up. Sure, but a, I. It's a good story. I guess it's not really a good story, though. Well, not for the crew members, no, or the people <laughs> that found them, that or the dog. Oops, sorry. Come on. My source material: Wikipedia, historic mysteries and mental flaws. The SS Urang Madan, the mysterious ghost ship. Found in 1947, allegedly. I love ghost ship stories. There's certainly plenty of them. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. 
Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. The Pandora virus is a giant virus first discovered in 2013 off the coast of Australia. It has double-stranded DNA genomes. Scientists have not been able to identify 93% of its genetic makeup and is considered by some that it could be of extraterrestrial origins. We have had a flurry of creepy emails lately. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, question mark. <laughs> yeah. uh, always you can send your emails to curator at theboxofoddities.com. Like Patience did. She says, yes, that's my government name. Hi, I'm very new to your podcast. I'm upset. I didn't know about it sooner. It's amazing. I love hearing you all through the day, and you make my life as a stay-home mom easier. Anyway, I am on episode 50. I have a lot of catching up to do, and I'm so excited for it. You're discussing... (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true. You're discussing sleep paralysis. I have had that since middle school At least, that's the first time I remember having it. I'm 25 now. I have three kids and a fiancé, and I would say I still have it regularly. Me and my fiancé have worked out a, quote, system to where he can usually tell whether I'm having an episode and wakes me up. I'll be trying to say his name, and he can see my lips quivering like I'm trying to speak. It's really odd, and one of the scariest things I've ever experienced. Luckily, no sleep paralysis demon for me, but I bet they'd be cool to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) You are braver than I, Patience. Yeah. Have a great day. You two love the podcast so much, Patience. Um, I had one experience with sleep paralysis, I would say maybe 10 years ago. I woke up and I was fully aware of where I was and I could not sit up. I couldn't do it. It was like... At the lake house? Yeah, at the lake house. I couldn't sit up. It it was like I had been strapped down or there was a heavy weight on me. It only lasted for maybe five or ten seconds, but it was enough for me to recognize what was happening. And uh, I immediately got up and ate a bag of cookies. Oh, well, that fixes it. It's a little known fact. Cookies are the cure for sleep paralysis. (laughs) Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Did you know technology allows us to watch you through your device as you listen to us? Haha, made you look. This is The Box of Oddities. So if you're done uh, sharing uh, an impossible breakfast sandwich with Alec Baldwin, (laughs) uh, would you tell us a story? The Amundsen-Scott Station is an American scientific research base located at the geographic South Pole. It's named in honor of Norwegian Roald Amundsen and Robert F. Scott, who led separate teams that raced to become the first to the pole in the early 1900s. The station has a peak population of around 200 in the summer operational season. And in recent years, the wintertime population dwindles to about 50. That would be so weird to be in Antarctica in the wintertime and know that there's only, you know, a couple dozen other people hanging out. Right. From what I've heard, um, NASA will sometimes use Antarctica as a training base for astronauts because it's the, the thing on Earth that most closely resembles the vibe of being in space because you're so alone. Is Matt Damon there growing potatoes? <laughs> Rodney Marks was one of those wintering employees. He worked as part of the Chicago Center for Astrophysical Research in Antarctica, a.k.a. Sarah and was involved with their South Pole Infrared Explorer Project program. At the station, which is the only inhabited place on the surface of the Earth from which the sun is continuously visible for six months, it's then continuously dark for the next six months. Rodney was described by his peers as brilliant, which, yeah, I mean, I guess as an astrophysicist, probably that's, yeah. You'd have to be. I would think so. Kind of of a given. Mm. On May 11, in the year 2000, Rodney became ill while walking between the remote observatory and the base. He was struggling to breathe, and soon his vision became weak. He was also super tired, and he decided that probably rest was best, so he went to bed. At 5.30 the next morning... Rodney woke up vomiting blood. Oh, my God. He visited the base medical center three times over the course of the day. And Robert Thompson, the doctor who was working there, 
With each visit, his symptoms appeared to get worse. He had joint and stomach pain, he had intense light sensitivity, and he was becoming increasingly anxious, which, I mean... Well, yeah. Yeah, you're vomiting blood. You're going you're gonna to get pretty anxious, I would think. Vomiting blood in the, in the Antarctic has got to be uh, disconcerting. No, thank you. Advice was sought by satellite, but uh, no resolution was found. And Dr. Thompson, noting the anxiety and near hyperventilation, thought maybe the stress of the environment had set off like an intense panic attack or something of that sort. And he injected Rodney with an antipsychotic to calm him down. Why do I have the feeling that that wasn't a good idea? Well, it was not. Rodney Marks laid back and his breathing slowed, but shortly after receiving the shot, he went into cardiac arrest. Oh, no. And after 45 minutes of unsuccessful resuscitation attempts, even though, like I said, advice was sought by satellite, Thompson declared Rodney Marks dead at 6.45 p.m. Oh, Now, the National Science Foundation issued a statement that Rodney Marks had apparently died of natural causes, but the specific cause of death had yet to be determined. Due to the station's remote location and the intensity of Antarctica, his body couldn't be immediately moved back to the mainland base camp. So instead, his body was kept in a freezer at the observatory for six months until it could be flown back to New Zealand for an autopsy. Side note, I'll bet freezers in Antarctica are uh, very efficient. Probably. Some of the people living at the base used their own time to gather oak scraps and cut and polish them into a casket Mm. for Mark's body. It wasn't until October 30th, a plane transported the body from Amundsen-Scott Station to Christchurch, New Zealand, where the forensic pathologist was able to perform an autopsy. Dr. Martin Sage discovered Rodney had not died of natural causes. The postmortem determined he had ingested approximately 150 milliliters of methanol. What? Roughly the size of a glass of wine. Okay. Okay. And the investigation led to more and more questions. Some investigators suggested that Rodney had ingested the methanol intentionally to end his own life. Now, the Australian native had previously wintered on the continent from 1997 to 1998 as part of the Center for Astrophysical Research in Antarctica. And Dr. Chris Martin, one of the researchers who worked on that project with Rodney, told the New Zealand Herald Rodney liked it so much he wanted to go back again. Piers described him as thriving. He was part of the bass band, Fanny Pack and the Big Nancy Boys. (laughs) And he was dating someone on site, Sonia Walters. So it didn't seem to anybody outside that that would make any sense at all. Yeah, and he sought medical attention. Right, and it was said by the fellow scientists as well as the base doctor that his panic upon becoming sick was unlikely feigned. One investigator brought up the theory that Rodney Marks could have accidentally ingested the methanol during the process of distilling his own liquor, as he was known to overindulge from time to time. And he was known to sometimes use alcohol to cope with Tourette's syndrome. Oh, really? But he had access to plenty of alcohol on base. It wasn't like alcohol wasn't allowed. They had a bunch of it. I would think that's the first thing that goes into the cargo hold. 
Yeah, absolutely. On the way to Antarctica. Yeah. You got the whiskey? Yep. Okay, let's go. In addition to that, Rodney Marks was a scientist, you know? I mean, it's not likely he wouldn't know the dangers of methanol. And when he did get sick, he seemed bewildered. So, Hmm. again, it's not like... Oh, yeah, that weird bottle of alcohol I consumed. Maybe that had something. You know, it just didn't, it didn't add up. No, it does not. Also, Rodney Marks had needle marks on his arm, but there were no illegal drugs in his body. So, murder? Question mark? Huh. The official investigation was headed up by a man named Grant Warmald with the New Zealand Police Department. He asked the U.S. for information on the scientists that they had stationed at the base. The U.S. declined to comment or aid in Warmald's investigation at all. So though this is a U.S. base and most of the people who work there are Americans, as with most American operations within Antarctica, including the South Pole base, they're within the Ross Dependency, which is a territory claimed by New Zealand. And the arrangement has caused strife. The New Zealand police say that a full investigation into Mark's death has been carried out by U.S. organizations which have refused to share their findings. Well, that's suspicious. Yeah. And dickish, I think. Suspicious and dickish. Another problem was that even though Raytheon, who is the facility that manages this company at the base, they reportedly requested that Rodney's workspace be cordoned off and such, but that didn't happen. And since many of Mark's co-workers thought that he had died of natural causes, it didn't seem important to them. A few of his items were collected from his office and his bedroom and put aside, but anything that didn't look important was tossed. So after being cleaned up, both areas then were continued to be used just as they had been before his death. So any further investigations after they realized that there possibly was foul play, the areas were scrubbed. There was nothing left. And when Warmald requested the results of lab tests on what little evidence was collected, no response. Wow. What could that possibly be? (sighs) I don't know. I don't understand. It reeks of cover-up. I know that. It sure does. According to the New Zealand Herald, some experts were critical of Robert Thompson's treatment of Rodney Marks at the base camp. At the base, they had what's called an Ectochem blood analyzer. It's a small machine, and it's run on a tiny lithium-ion battery. Every time the machine was turned off, it lost its calibration because the battery had died. Okay, gotcha. Thompson didn't use this blood analyzer because it had to be calibrated, and that takes like eight to ten hours. And he said that he was really busy taking care of Marks, so in the meantime, he didn't have time to recalibrate the machine. Okay. But during his testimony, he also said it's really hard to use anyway, which everybody else says, no, it's not. That it would have been a very simple thing to calibrate it while caring for Marks and then use it. That it's it's a very straightforward product. So that leads to question this as well. So anyway, it's 2005 now. That's five years later. And the NSF agreed to forward questionnaires 
to the remaining 49 members of the 2000 Winter Crew. So five years later, they said, yeah, okay, we'll send along those questionnaires for you, policeman. (laughs) He got 13 of them back. That's it. Only 13 people on base decided it was important to fill out these questionnaires regarding the death of a man who they had worked with. What is going on here? The official coroner's report said Rodney Marks died as a result of acute methanol poisoning, probably occurring one or two days earlier, he being either unaware of the overdose or not understanding the possible complications of it. Mm, I don't know. Investigator Grant Warmald said, I am not entirely satisfied that all relevant information and reports have been disclosed to the New Zealand police or the coroner. Meanwhile, Rodney Mark's father stated he believes that trying to figure out what happened to his son at this point is a fruitless effort because he doesn't believe that people will help, which has to be. Oh, my God. The worst feeling that people aren't trying to help you find out what happened to your child. It would be a combination of anger and helplessness. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's still a mystery. It's 22 years later, and it is still a mystery what happened to Rodney Marks. Okay, freaks. Some of you guys are internet sleuths. Get on this for us, I believe in you. Yes, we need some answers. Wow. Yeah. I'd never heard of this before. It sucks, right? When he first started talking about a, an Antarctic base, I immediately went to the movie The Thing oh, in, yeah, yeah. in my head. And I was really hoping that uh, they had unthawed some sort of alien. but Unthawed? Huh. Unfrozen? Just thawed. Thawed. Yeah, I never thought about that. Weird. I got most of my information from allthatsinteresting.com, Mental Floss, The Guardian, and of course, Wikipedia. Kind of changing gears here, but you know how I'm obsessed with Waverly Hill Sanatorium? Yeah. In Louisville. Well, I've watched pretty much every documentary on it, so I'm I'm doing a search for podcasts that have covered it. And I came across Hillbilly Horror Stories. Mm -hmm. This is a great podcast. Tell me everything. It's mostly paranormal. It's hosted by uh, Jerry and Tracy, husband and wife team. Fun. Yeah. And they talk about really pretty much everything that's eerie. True stories from behind your favorite horror movies. I love that stuff. To Waverly Hills Sanatorium. What I liked about that is that uh, they actually went there. They they were fresh off two tours of Waverly from the night before when they recorded that episode. Oh, that's really cool. So they get in there. They get in there. And some of their podcasts are conversational, like like ours. Some Mm -hmm. of them are more scripted. If you liked that that form of storytelling, they give you an option of both. I love that. Now, we do two episodes a week, and people say, are you crazy? You do two podcasts a week? Mm. They do six. Whoa! That's so, dedication, yo! So, <laughs> Jerry and Tracy, you're crazy. <laughs> but they've got podcast style for, for just about everyone. And in, in researching these guys, they actually have, they've got like 14 million downloads. Hillbilly Horror Stories. Check them out. It's worth it. I absolutely will. You can find them pretty much everywhere. Also, we watched, um, oh, what was it called? The Protégé the other night. That was a good movie. With Samuel L. Jackson and Maggie Q, who I now have a crush on. Mm -hmm. And Batman, who I have always had a crush on. Michael Keaton. Yeah. Yeah. 
The well, only well, it's, real Batman, yes. Yeah, every Michael Keaton movie for me is actually Batman pretending to be an actor in a film. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, that was so much fun. I enjoyed that. It's a good revenge film. If you like a revenge film, that's something that uh, that you'll really enjoy. Looking forward to seeing you guys next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Now the natural... His body couldn't be a oak strap. And when Wormald... It's mo... Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.